0: Welcome to Peace of the City and the online campus of St. Patrick's Convergence Anglican Church in St. Augustine, Florida. I'm Bishop Joe Butler, and I'm glad you're here with us today. The day is Monday, Thursday, so let us begin. The Lord be with you and also with you. Let us pray. Almighty Father, whose dear Son, on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord who in these holy mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life, and who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Gospel reading for this Monday, Thursday, comes from St. John's Gospel, chapter 13, and I will be reading out of the New King James Version. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. At supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to be washed his feet, but, it is, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You're not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taking his garment, he sat down again. He said to them, Do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord. You say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, A servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you had known these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, will also glorify him in himself? and glorify him immediately? Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you love, if you have love, one for another. Here ends the reading. May God grant us the wisdom to discover the right, the will to choose it, and the strength to make it endure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is Monday, Thursday, or Holy Thursday, as some know it. Today's gospel reading, we see a portion of the narrative. If we look in Luke chapter 22, we can see another portion of the narrative, and we'll look at that today. But this helps paint out a picture of what is happening on this particular day that we call Monday, Thursday. Today, I want, to use, I want you to use your imagination. I want you to see yourself in that upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Take a moment. Visualize yourself in that room. You're smelling the smells of Passover. You're hearing the conversations that are going on around the table. I want you to smell the lamb the garlic. I want you to taste the bitter herbs. I want you to fill the water as it's being poured on your feet and wiped off. And I want you to taste, as it were, the bread and the wine as Eucharist is instituted. I'm not going to give you a theological dissertation on some of the things we're going to talk about today. I simply want you to think about the events of this night and let the Holy Spirit begin to make them very real to you. As we see here in chapter 13 of John's Gospel, we see that Jesus has a desire to eat Passover with his disciples. Luke chapter 20. Uh, 2 goes into this as well. And we see this. He wants to have this Passover meal with his disciples. Now, what is the Passover meal or the feast of unleavened bread? Well, if we look back at Exodus chapter 12, we see the story of Passover. This is the time where God is trying to bring his children out of Egypt and Pharaoh is being stubborn and will not allow them to leave. And they're told to take a lamb and to slaughter it, to cook it and eat it, and take the blood from the lamb and put on the doorpost and the lintel. And whenever the angel comes over and he sees the blood, he will pass over. It was called Passover. I don't know if you've ever experienced Passover. I have. My wife is an ethnic Jew. She's, her family is from Poland, and they were Jewish. In fact, my mother-in-law and father-in-law both spent time in the death camps of Nazi Germany because they simply they were Jews. And we've had and we've sat down with family and had a Passover meal. It's a great event. When my children were young, we they went to a school that had a Seder every year, and it was our privilege to be able to give an instructional Seder and show what every single item within. The Passover meal pointed to redemption. As they are sitting there, they are eating the paschal lamb. Jesus is eating the paschal lamb with his disciples, the one who is known as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, who would become the fulfillment of of everything that Passover speaks of, is sitting at this table with his disciples. Today, I want us to look at two different things that happen here. The first is this, is Jesus gives an example of servanthood. Jesus gives an example of servanthood. In John's gospel, we see very vividly this description of where after they've commit, finished the Seder, that Jesus gets up and he takes his garments off and he takes his towel and wraps around himself as a servant would. And he washes their feet. And he gives them this great example of servanthood. He says, You don't understand all of this, but after everything has happened, you will understand. On this day, this Monday Thursday, we will wash the feet of one another during our Eucharistic service for today. There will be a time for that. But Jesus gives us example that if he did this, how much more should we do it? Because We're not greater than the teacher. The master did it. We should do it. And so Jesus gives to the church this great example of servanthood. Let us examine our hearts tonight, or today, and see if we are really servants. Look in our lives and see if there are places where we despise being the servant or giving to others. Part of the gospel is this, is that we serve. We serve one another. We serve people. Jesus tells them that he gives them a new commandment that they're to love one another. Is I have loved you. And he says that people will know that you're my disciples by your love, by your giving, by your sharing with one another. One of the reasons the world cannot see Christ in the world today as it needs to see is because we don't truly love one another. We don't have this kind of servanthood imagery in our mind to serve one another and love one another. So I want to challenge you on this Monday, Thursday, that we begin to serve and love one another as Christ loved us. The second thing we want to look at tonight is is that Jesus institutes the Eucharist. Now, the center part of our life in a liturgical-style church is this is the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the culmination of everything that happens. It's not the preaching. The pulpit in our churches is not in the center, but to the side. Why is that? Because a central act is not preaching. The central act is on the altar. For the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, Will be elevated, and you will be clear. The priests will declare, "This is the body, and this is the blood of Christ." In St. Luke's Gospel, we see that during this meal, Jesus takes the cup of wine and the bread, and he blesses the bread and he blesses the wine. Let's just kind of look at it real quickly here. In St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. When the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles. He said to them, with fervent desire, I have desires to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. And then as we move on down, we see that it says this in verse 19. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup of cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. Get that, the new covenant. In my blood, which is shed for you. For behold, The hand of my betrayer is with me on this table. In the midst of this time where the one who would betray him would be there, Jesus institutes the Eucharist, what some call communion, some call the divine liturgy, some call the mass, whatever name you want to give it. But we hear these words where Jesus says, this is my body. We cannot get away from those words on this night. On this night, Jesus institutes the Eucharist and the sacrament of Holy Communion. This is not just a time where we have fond thoughts about Jesus, but this is where we receive sacramental grace. This is a sacrament. It's not an ordinance. Some churches have what they call ordinances. It kind of means it's something that you do, and it's ordered by someone to do, and there's nothing that happens. I've been in places where I've been told there's absolutely nothing that will happen when you take communion, and we're told to set and remember. And what we do is we have these times where we, I remember as a kid, and even as pastoring in a Pentecostal church, you would tell the people to remember, we want you to remember what happened on the cross. The problem is, is I wasn't there, so I can't remember it. It's kind of like we would say to people, the word remember can be used in several different ways in Greek. And one way is for you to have a memory of something, where you would look at somebody and say, you remember when we went down to this certain restaurant and they had the best pizza? And you would go, oh, yeah, I remember that. You remembered it. You brought it to your mind. But you aren't actually there in the position of at that restaurant when you're speaking about that but you bring this event from the past and you think about it. The word here that Jesus uses and then that St. Paul uses in 1 Corinthians is a very particular word. It's not used, but uh, I believe only four times throughout the New Testament. And it's a Greek word That's anonesis, anonesis, which means to recall. But the image that anonesis brings up is not to have fond thoughts or memories of something that you may have done or you may have heard about. But anonesis literally means to reach back in the past and pull that thing that happened in the past into the present, so you can receive the benefits of what happened in the past today. So in Holy Communion, we're not re-sacrificing Jesus. Many people accuse us and accuse our Roman brothers that when they offer the sacrifice of the Mass or As we would say, we have Eucharist. Some of our evangelical friends and Pentecostal friends would declare, you're sacrificing Jesus again. No, we're not. But what we're doing is we're doing exactly what Jesus commanded in this gospel where he instituted the Eucharist in St. Luke's gospel we're taking and reaching back into the past and pulling into our present day, the event that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, and we're bringing it back in to this day, this Monday, Thursday, 2021. And it becomes real to us in a real, substantial way. And sacramental grace is given. We believe in what's called the real presence of Christ. That the body and blood is the body and blood of Christ. That's what Jesus said. All throughout the Gospels, and even when St. Paul declares this about the Eucharist, we cannot get away from this, the words, this is my body and this is my blood. He did not say this represents my body and my blood, or this is a memorial of my body and blood. Now, I'm not slamming our brothers who may believe us and teach us, but I'm trying to show you what the church has believed Since the very beginning, this is my body. This is my blood. Some try to explain it. Our Catholic brothers try to explain it with what they call transubstantiation. I believe pretty much like, and our church holds a line that pretty much like our Orthodox brothers, that this is a mystery there's a great word called mysterium tremendum which means tremendous mystery this is a tremendous mystery there's a miracle that happens how do you explain a miracle you can't because it's a mystery but as the priest speaks the words over the bread and the wine and they are blessed the holy spirit comes upon the elements, and they become the body and blood of Christ. Now, you may take that bread and that wine and take it to the lab, and it may still be bread and Manischewitz wine, if that's what you use, or whatever type of wine that you use. But it becomes the body and blood of Christ. It may still have the physical Manifestation of what it was, but there's a miracle that takes place that it becomes the body and the blood of Christ. And through that, through the real presence of Christ, we have grace. And so as we come to the table of the Lord tonight to receive the body and blood of Christ, you can have the assurance that the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church, the early church fathers taught this exact thing that I'm telling you tonight. The father said that when you bite into the, the, the bread, you're biting into Christ. And through this, we receive life. Through the Eucharist, we receive blessing. Through the Eucharist, We receive God's grace to live in this world. So I want to challenge you tonight. Come to the Eucharist with a new mindset. We see that Jesus exposes in the midst of all of this, he exposes the one who's going to betray him. Judas Iscariot has already made a deal to betray Jesus. And he tells them, go do what you're going to do and do it quickly. And then we see the end of this, this night after they've finished the Seder. After Jesus has washed the feet, they've they've had the Eucharist. After Judas has left and he's gone to the high priest, To put everything into motion that's going to happen. Of the sham trial and the eventual crucifixion. We see, what does Jesus do? Jesus' and disciples go to pray. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes to this spot. And he begins to cry out, Father, if there's any other way, please let it happen. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The disciples are supposed to be praying with them, but they're tired. And they've fallen asleep. Jesus goes back and prays. Comes back to them, and they're asleep again. And he wakes them and says, can't you at least tarry with me one hour and pray? The agony that Jesus is beginning through this process, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that he is now going to become the Paschal Lamb. He knows the sins of the entire world are being placed upon him. But he also knows that through this, there will be a reconciliation between God and between man. And he willingly does it. Some will try to tell you that this whole event that we're experiencing that begins during this Holy Week, and especially tomorrow on Good Friday, was the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus. And we have those that will talk about the penal substitution. But I want to tell you tonight that when Jesus went to the cross, it was not to satisfy the wrath of an angry God. So many of us have been raised in an environment that we see God as an angry old man up in heaven just waiting for you to mess up so he can smack you with his Louisville Slugger baseball bat, as it were, and send you to hell. But the whole story of redemption, the whole story of Christ going to the cross that we will walk through tomorrow during Good Friday is a love story. It's about the love of God. It's about God coming in the form of a man to execute a rescue mission and save us from this horrible, dreaded disease called sin and to give us a cure. So as we conclude tonight, I want you to take a few moments. Remember what it was like in that room. Think about what they saw. Think about the taste, the emotions. Think about what Jesus went through in the garden tonight. It's said that he was under such pressure that the capillaries under his skin burst and he began to bleed through his skin. That was the pressure that he was under. Why? Because he was on a rescue mission to reconcile God and to man. And this, my friend, is the good news of the gospel. God is not angry with you. God is not mad at you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God loves you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.